Go ahead, turn to Daniel chapter 2. Daniel chapter 2. If you remember from last week, we talked about how the theme was faithfulness. We looked at Daniel chapter 1. In it, you see uh, a young man named Daniel, and he's got a couple of his friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They're around 15, 16, 17, 18 years old. King Nebuchadnezzar comes from the empire of Babylon. He looks over, he sees their land in Judah. He says, I want that. So he lays waste to the city and takes people captive. And yet we see, even when God's people are in a foreign land, God is faithful. And we looked at a few ways. You can look at the world from a couple of perspectives. And we saw Nebuchadnezzar, he sees it. He sees a land, and he's like, I'm going to make war, and I'm going to take that. Nebuchadnezzar thinks he is in control, and yet later on you see in verse 2 that it was actually God giving Jehoiakim to Nebuchadnezzar. You see, God's people lived in a land, but they had forgotten their God. The God that they were to worship, they had forgotten. They were rebelling against God. They weren't worshiping Him. They weren't calling out to Him. They had forgotten Him. And God raises up a king, King Nebuchadnezzar, to go get His people, take them captive so that they would remember God. Now, here's the crazy thing. And this is what we should be thinking. In life, is it better to be comfortable stable and happy and forget about God? Or is it better to go into captivity and remember God? Because that's the picture we see painted in Daniel chapter 1. You see a people who have forgotten God going into captivity where they remember God. And this is what is important. It is eternally more valuable to remember God even while in captivity than to stay home and be comfortable. So we look at this and we see that God is faithful. He knows where His people are and what they are going through. We see that triumph comes through God giving. God gives Jehoiakim into the hands of King Nebuchadnezzar. And God gave Daniel favor in the sight of the chief. Remember, he's going and he says, you're going to have to eat this. And Daniel's like, I can't eat that. My God doesn't allow it. I don't want to do that. And we see God gives him favor in the sight of the chief who's in charge of the diets. So Daniel's able to not do that. And then we see later on that God gives these young men wisdom and understanding. We see God is triumphing through giving. And then ultimately we see God triumphs through giving his son. Jesus comes because the Father sent him. And Jesus is still triumphing as the one and only Son of God. But then we also see not only is God faithful, we see Daniel resolves to be faithful. If anybody had an excuse to do whatever they wanted to, to eat whatever was set before them, it was Daniel. Daniel was not in a spot of negotiation. Daniel risked his life to say no to the king's food and the king's wine. The best food in the land, the best drink in the land. He says, I can't do that. There's somebody more significant than the king that I'm following. And so he resolves 
to be faithful to God. So we see the faithfulness of God and then the faithfulness of His people. And that's what we're challenged. Are we faithful to God in a foreign land? Because we're not home yet. This world is not our home. We await a king who is returning, and we're going to hear a little bit about him today. So we've got some work to do in Daniel chapter 2. If the theme of chapter 1 was faithful, the theme of chapter 2 is hopeful. So let me pray, and then we're going to go through this. <clears throat> Father, I thank you for gathering a people together this morning. Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you for being a God who keeps promises. Father, I pray that we find ourselves in your story. Father, I pray that you move in a mighty way. I pray that we find our hope in you and whose kingdom will know no end. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. All right, so what I'm going to do, because it's a long text, 49 verses, and it's the Old Testament, so the verses are a little bit longer than what you see in the New Testament. I'm not going to read this verse by verse. I'm going to try to summarize this, and then we'll apply it at the end. All right, so number one, what we see is that a dream happens that keeps a king from sleeping. Verse one, in the second year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar. Now, this is important. This takes us to about 604 B.C. So 2,600 years ago, a king had a dream. Now, here's something important. It matters today. So in the second year of this guy's reign, remember Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they're in the second year of their training to be wise men. right? They're, they're not even uh, full-blown wise men yet. They're not in a place of priority. They're still working, eating vegetables, drinking water, trying to survive, learning a new culture in a foreign land. This is that year. Listen to what happens. He had dreams. His spirit was troubled and his sleep left him. Now, I don't know about you, but if you've ever had a nightmare and couldn't get back to sleep, that's what was happening to him. He had had a dream. He wakes up. He has this cold sweat. And then he's worried. and He's thinking, man, that was so realistic. What's going on? And he tries to fall back asleep, and he can't. The most powerful person on the planet who conquers any territory that he wanted cannot conquer his restless mind. He cannot get to sleep. Now, this is a scary thing. Because this king's dangerous. So he has a dream. Spirit's troubled. He can't sleep. And then we see this dangerous situation. In verse 2, what happens is the king has a solution to his problem. He's got some guys in his kingdom that should be able to solve this problem. He calls them enchanters, sorcerers, magicians, wise men, Chaldeans. He calls all these guys. He's like, hey, guys, I know you can handle this. Come on in here. This is what we're going to do. I've had a dream. I need to know the meaning. Let me know about it. That's all he says. That's round one. So we'll have some sorcerers and some magicians come in. They say, hey, I've had a dream. Tell me what it is. But then he lays down some consequences. Right? So I just want you to think. He's had a dream. There's going to be some consequences. And just as I try to, to show this, I, I need one volunteer. Not everybody at once. I only need one. One, one brave soul. All right, Miss Vicky, I'm thinking of a number, one through a hundred, in my mind. Now, I need you to tell me that number and tell me what it means on you. 50. My number was 79. All right, now wait. There, that was easy, right? Phil, 
Come on up here. Phil, this past week, we did uh, Senior Hit Day. Of course, that's who'd you get for Senior Hit Day? Hey, Phil picked Coach Neville's. I'd never seen Coach Neville's nervous until this past uh, Thursday, Senior Hit Day. So, Phil, this is what I want you to do. She's going to guess again. If she gets it wrong, I want you to tackle <laughs> Miss Vicky. All right? Miss Vicky, I'm thinking of a number. Do not really tackle Miss Vicky. Oh, no. I'm thinking of a number, one through 100. I need you to tell me that number. It's a different number. And what it means. Three. Phil, I need you to take care of business. <laughs> it was 82. <laughs> All right, grab a seat. Grab a seat. Thank you, Ms. B. Now, hey, that was easy compared to what the king was asking. He had this dream. Could have been anything. And he gets these wise men up. He said, hey, you're going to tell me this. But then he says, you know what? I'm tired of you all wasting time. I will tear you limb from limb and burn your houses down if you don't tell me what my dream is. And then he says, well, and if you get it right, I'll give you a reward. You'll have great honor. So the wise men are like, hey, king, I don't know if you know this, but that's impossible. We can't do it. So they come to him a second time and say, king, you tell us a dream. We'll tell you what it means. King's like, no, you guys are trying to play me. Here's, I'll tell you what, forget the rewards, forget the place of honor. You're doing what I asked. Tell me the dream and tell me what it means or we're going to do this thing now. The magicians and wise men and chainers get together. Like, uh, do you know what this is? No, do you? I have no idea. So they come in a third time, and the king says, that's it. Arioch, take these guys out. It's time. One sentence. Take them out. Can you imagine the picture? So Daniel is in Wise Man University training school. He's just now a sophomore. He doesn't even have enough credits to be an upperclassman. And here comes Arioch, the chief executioner. He's like, let's go, get them out. Everybody's getting put to death. All the wise men in the land put to death because they can't tell the king. And it's interesting, Daniel comes to Arioch and says, hey man, why is this thing so urgent? What's the hurry? What's the hurry? But I, got, I got graduation in a couple years. What are you doing? He said, man, the king says, if you can't tell him his dream and his interpretation, he's putting to death all the wise men in the land. And you're one of them. Come on, get your boys, let's go. And Daniel tells Arioch, he's like, hey man, let me go talk to the king. Daniel goes to the king. I want you to see this. This is very, very important. In verse 16, right, after he already knows the consequences that he could die for not being able to tell him, and after the king declares, hey, this is the sentence, check out what Daniel tells him. And Daniel went in, chapter 2, verse 16, and requested the king to appoint him a time that he might show him the interpretation to the king. Why is that crazy? Because Daniel doesn't have a clue what the dream was. Or what the interpretation was. Because, hey, king, hey, let's check your calendar. Monday open, I'm free. I'll come in, tell you what you dreamed, give you the interpretation. Why is Daniel so confident here? Trust God. Chapter 1, God is faithful to his people, and Daniel is faithful to his God. His hope is set in God. Now, this is very, very important. If we're going to be obedient, if we're going to follow Jesus, our hope has to be set on God and not something else. If you set your hope on money, if you set your hope on a relationship, if you set your hope on a job, you will crumble. But if your hope is on God, you are on a rock-salad foundation. And you can go to the king and say, Hey, king, I got you. You set the date. And he has no clue what the dream or the interpretation is. But he knows 
is God. Do you see the boldness? See some guts in here? This is what I love about Daniel. So let's see what happens. King tells him here, this is when you'll come unto me. This is when you'll be able to talk to me. Look at verse 17. What is Daniel's first response? He goes to his house, tells his boys, I hope you have some guys like this in your life. So one thing that I pray for Ava, Balaam, and Camden, that God puts some girls and some ladies in her life that love Jesus. Daniel's life is on the line, and he doesn't waver. He doesn't shrink back. He courageously runs to the king, and then he goes to his boys. And, and listen to what he does. He goes to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Now this is Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, right? His companions. And he told them to seek mercy from God of heaven concerning this mystery. He goes, hey, fellas, I don't mean to be the bearer of bad news, but I'm getting ready to go talk to the king. And if it goes bad, it goes bad for all of us. You're dead, you're dead, you're dead. So I need you to pray. I don't know about you, but I think the prayer service was pretty active that night. Everybody's showing up to pray now. The life's on the line. He goes to his boys to say, I need you to pray about this. Now, this isn't the point of the text, but I think it is very important. I hope you have identified some people in your life that you can go to and pray for on matters like this. Now, your life might not be on the line, but it might be a job transfer. Might be time to move houses. Might be time to change careers. You might be looking at a college. You might be looking at someone to marry. You might be, the list goes on and on. I hope you have some guys and some ladies that you can say, hey guys, I need you to intercede on my behalf. All right, so that's just a side note. So they pray, and now here's something important. Guess what happens? God shows up. God shows up. And what Daniel says about God here is very important because God doesn't change. Right? God is unchanging. The character of God that we see Daniel talk about is the same character we see in God today. So I want us to see some truthful things about God from this text. This is the most important part of the story in Daniel chapter 2. We, we get to catch a glimpse of the God who created us who sets things in motion, who is ordering history exactly according to his plan. This is what Daniel has to say about God because God showed up. He said, blessed be the name of God forever and ever. That's very, very important. God will be praised by his people forever and ever. To whom belong wisdom and might. That's also very important. If you need wisdom, you go to the God of wisdom. If you need might, you go to the God of might. Again and again, we see throughout history, people who are in desperate need of wisdom and people who are in desperate need of might go to God and they find both. Verse 21, he changes times and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. Here's something funny. The important part here is Nebuchadnezzar looks like he's the one with might and looks like he's the one with wisdom. Only he knows the dream, and only he has the power to put people to death or not. Except that's not true. It's just what it looks like. God is the one who has the power. And so when we see this, this is something very important because we're experiencing some changing of the seasons now. The, the leaves are falling, and guess what? It happens just like that every year, doesn't it? Summer and fall and spring and winter, and the seasons just keep coming and going. And what God is saying is just as the seasons change, that's not a hard thing for me to do. I can raise up and I can tear down a king. The kingdom's gone. It's not a big deal. You think Nebuchadnezzar's powerful? He's nothing. That's what God is doing here. That's the bigness of our God. Kings and kingdoms come and go, and he raises up and he tears down. 
No empire lasts forever. Except one. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. Verse 22, he reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what is in the darkness and the light dwells with him. I want to do a side note here. Not the main point of the passage, but I think very, very important. He knows what is in the darkness. He knows the time for Daniel here is dark. He's ripped from his family. His home is destroyed. He's taken captive. He's learning a new culture, a new language. He's trying to be brainwashed, but he's not forgetting God. He knows about Daniel, and he knows about the darkness. Now, this is very, very important because a lot of us live in darkness right now. There's a lot of things going on that are not right, but there's a kingdom coming, and the king will make it right. God not only knows, he's able to do something about it. That's very, very important. Some of you are in a spot where it doesn't feel like you have much hope. And here, what Daniel is saying is he knows what's going on in the darkness, and he is the God who is light. He brings light to your situation. Doesn't mean he'll rescue, doesn't mean he'll heal you from everything, doesn't mean he gives you what you want, but he promises he will be with you, and in the end you will be with him. And that is what is an eternally significant. And then he closes, To you, O God of my fathers, I give thanks and praise, for you have given me wisdom and might, and have now made known to me what we asked of you. You have made known to us the king's matter. He knows about the dream. God revealed it to him. So, real quick, when he goes before the king, here comes Arioch. And I think it's interesting. As you keep reading, Arioch, the chief executioner. Amante, you mind being Daniel? Come on up here. You're Daniel. Mike, you're, you're King Nebo. You can sit down. You're the king. We're coming to you, right? So Daniel has been coming up to Arioch, chief executioner. I'm just looking to kill people. I, I'm, the king told me to wipe people out. I'm going to do that. All the wise men, they're going. I get to Daniel. Daniel, hey, come on, man. It's your turn. Daniel's the one that says, hey, man, what's so urgent? He goes, let me go to the king. I got something to say. Now we go before the king. Now check this out. Daniel doesn't speak first. Arioch does. As a, hey, Nebo, good news. I've been looking, working hard. I found somebody that can tell you your dream and interpret it. Arioch filled with arrogance. He wants credit. He saved the day. He's been working hard finding people. He wasn't looking for Daniel. He's looking to put people to death. But he goes before the king and he wants credit. And then you have Daniel. Check out what Daniel says. Daniel says, hey, king. You're asking people to tell you your dream. That's impossible. Nobody can do that. That's what Daniel says. Daniel knows the dream. Daniel could have said, you know what, Nebo? I've got you. I've got a big brain. Pretty smart guy. Let me tell you what you dream. He doesn't say it. He's like, nobody can do that. Nobody can tell you what you've dreamed and interpret it for you. But then he says, but so that you know that there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries, let me tell you about your dream. Right? So you have Arioch. Hey, man, I got this. And then you have Daniel. Hey, I can't do it, but the God who I worship can. All right, thanks, Monte. That's very, very important because that reflects on his followers today. If your confidence is in Christ, you're going to be a humble person because you don't bring anything to God. When I stand before God, I'm not saying, hey, I was a pastor here and here. Um, I, I loved uh, my wife. I was faithful. All those things are good. 
None of those earn me credit before God. The only thing I'm saying before God is, hey, what Christ did for me, I accept it as a gift. He did it all for me. I trust in Him. That's my King. But a lot of times what you see in life is people trying to push themselves forward so they can get credit. We see it on the football team all the time. We see it on the basketball team. We see it in school. Look at my grades. Look at how smart I am. Look at my GPA. Look at my ACT score. Or don't look at my ACT score. Look at my GPA. Right? Whatever we're doing. Uh, look at my job. Look at how much money. This is how valuable I am. Look at what I bring to the company. We desperately want credit. But when our identity is in Christ, that frees us up. I, I don't have to work for it anymore. I've been given my identity through Christ. That's grace. And when you have the grace of God on your life and you know the king, who cares what people think of you? Who cares what people think of me? It doesn't matter. I don't have to be the, known as the best coach on the planet. I don't have to be known as the best teacher on the planet. I want to be faithful to the God I serve because he is the greatest king that lives, will live, and will live forever. That's my identity. And so that, that was a side note. We move on. A dream interpreted. So he stands before the king. And now listen, this dream's weird. There's this giant statue. Its head is gold. Chest and arms are silver. The middle and thighs are bronze. The legs are iron. And the feet are iron and clay. So you have this giant statue. And you have all these characteristics. Uh, but then there's this little stone coming, not made of human hands, coming and spam, smashes the statue. And I mean, it just disintegrates. The dust scatters and the wind, it disappears. It is no more. And then this little stone grows and becomes a mountain. That's the dream. So if you would have guessed that, you could have saved the day back uh, 2,600 years ago. Right? I don't think any of us, if I had you guys write down the dream that you thought Nebuchadnezzar had, I don't think anybody would have had that detail. Right? That's an impossibility. God shows Daniel. But then he gives him this interpretation. Now this is important. Because this dream, we see a piece of it, and we're waiting for the fulfillment of this dream. This is reality. Daniel tells us what's going to happen because God showed him. Very, very important. This is where we find our place in this account. The human kingdoms will pass away, right? So the iron, the gold, the silver, all that's gone. That's not lasting. None of it lasts. Kingdoms never last. The United States has been around for... A couple hundred years, we've had 45 presidents. They're not going to last. And then I started looking. I looked at the Babylon Empire. They were doing great until Persia comes. And we'll read about that later in Daniel. Cyrus comes, and in his territory, huge, massive. But then there's Alexander the Great that comes, and he starts taking over the world. His goal was to take over the world. The only problem is he died at 32, right? Died trying to take over. The world. And then the guys under him all fought because they wanted to be a successor. And they all killed each other off, and now that whole empire's gone. Rome, 500 years, 78 emperors, all of them gone. Kingdoms do not last, but one does. So listen to this interpretation. Human kingdoms will pass away, but the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed, nor shall the kingdom be left to another people. It shall break into pieces all these kingdoms and bring them to an end, and it shall stand forever. The dream is certain, and the interpretation is sure. This is going to happen. Now, this is very, very important. Who is the king whose reign will know no end? Jesus. 
And here's the awesome part. Jesus in the New Testament, in the book of Matthew, talks about how He's the cornerstone. And whoever touches the cornerstone will be shattered to pieces and disappear. There will be no rival with the king and his kingdom. Jesus knows Daniel chapter 2 and applies it to his own life. Now, what does that mean for you and for me? We're going to get to that. Next, you see, so after this interpretation, I love this part too. Daniel tells King Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar, Gets down, bows down, starts praising God, giving God glory. Daniel, your God is God. And then he says, what do you want? He promotes Daniel to the king's court. But then Daniel goes, hey man, can you do me one favor? Don't forget my boys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And they're placed in positions of authority. All right, and then that is chapter 2. Now, what's the point? Where's our place in this story? The first one is this. Your hope is sure if it's found in God. If you know Jesus, you're in a kingdom which will never, ever end. You see, the problem with every kingdom is the leader dies. Someone else has to come in. Somebody else takes over. There's a stronger leader. There's a more better king, better kingdom. But if you know Jesus, there is no better king. And his reign will know no end. And then what else you see here is you have a God who moves and acts in history. There is hope because, like Daniel, where there is a God in heaven who reveals mystery, and there's a God in heaven who responds to prayer, and there's a God in heaven working His plan to history to perfection, and there's a God in heaven who is reigning right now, there is a God in heaven who is returning for His people. And so I want you to see this. Jesus comes... And in Luke chapter 1, there's a couple angels flying around. And they say, hey, this is the king whose reign will know no end. His kingdom will be forever. They're describing Jesus. Now, that's great news, except in 33 years, Jesus is being nailed to a cross. That should be a problem for us. Like, wait a second, wait a second, wait a second. So the stone comes, smashes this statue, and they say he's going to reign forever. So he's nailed to the cross. A spear's ran through his side. He breathes his last, and he is dead on the cross. That's why the disciples scattered. They thought Jesus was coming, and he was going to overturn Rome. And man, everything Jesus was doing was awesome. He says, be still, the storm stopped. He said, hear, the deaf man could hear. He said, walk, the lame man could walk. Like Everything was going like, nobody, nobody's like Jesus. And the disciples was like, oh, we got it made. My mom was sick. He comes in, says, be well. Mom was well enough to cook everybody a meal. Like, that's an amazing thing just to walk with Jesus for a few days. The disciples had been doing this for years. And then they see him nailed to the cross and they scatter. Why? Because this stone was supposed to triumph. So he's buried one day two day, three days. On the third day, God raises him from the grave. And what you see now is kingdom expansion. So the king rises. He walks around with his disciples for 40 days. Hundreds of people see Jesus. And then in Acts chapter 1, they're just talking to Jesus. Right? We're having a conversation. Then all of a sudden, he starts being lifted up into the clouds. Now, I don't know about you. It's a nice day out here, right? It's a nice day outside. You can see uh, there's not too many clouds. 
just a couple. But you can see over here a couple of white clouds. He just starts talking and he starts going up in the sky. And then an angel shows up and goes, hey, guys, what are you staring at? Like, I don't know about you. I don't think that's a rhetorical question. Like, I would have answered, I don't know, angel, but we just saw Jesus. He was here and he started floating. There's no planes at this time in history. Uh, we don't know what's going on here. And the angel explains to him, hey, man, you've got some work to do. Just as you saw him leave, he's coming back. Now, this is where it gets very, very important. In Hebrews chapter 1.8 says, but the son, he says, your throne is of God is forever and ever. Listen to this part. So Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, right? So he came the first time. That's the already part of the kingdom. The king is reigning and ruling. He paid for our sins on the cross. His death gives us life. Rose from the grave. Check out this. He will appear a second time not to deal with sin. It's already been dealt with. But to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. So the question is, one, do you know the king? Do you know the king? Whose kingdom will know no end. Do you see your security in that? Because this is very, very important because Daniel's talking in a time where his life's on the line. This isn't the last time his life will be threatened. It's not the last time his boys' life will be threatened. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, we're going to see that. It's going to get hot next week. Right? It's going to get dangerous. But... Why are they so stable? Because they know there's a kingdom coming whose foundation will not be shaken. And they're in it. And they know that death can't even separate it from the king. That's some confidence. That gives us hope. But if you're not in the kingdom, you don't have that hope. How do you get in the kingdom? You serve the king. If you've never given your life to Jesus, do that today. He is the King of kings, Lord of lords. His reign will be forever. And make no mistake, you will give an account to him. He comes as a baby who dies on a cross. The next time he comes, he's not coming like that. He's coming to make things right. Do you know the king? And then number two, are you expanding the kingdom? And so I, I got these blocks and people were wondering, what in the heck is going on? Did the nursery get out of control? No, the nursery was not out of control. But I, I, want, I just want you to see this, right? And so I started looking. Um, this past year, there were over 4,000 Christians who were put to death for their faith, right? It, things aren't like how you and I experience life everywhere. I don't think our problem is persecution, right? But, but there's a couple nations, um, if you go to India, you could be put to death for following Jesus. Turkey, Iran, Afghanistan, Somalia, Sudan. These are hotbeds where either you have a bad dictator or you have some extreme other guys that will put you to death for telling people about Jesus. And yet you see that over 3,000 people were put in prison without a trial last year for going to church, for telling people about Jesus. I don't think that's what we deal with. right? And so Daniel's giving hope to all the exiles, hey, we know you're in Babylon, but Babylon's not going to last. They're not going to rule forever. This kingdom's crashing down, but we know God and his kingdom's going to be forever. Let's follow him. I don't think that's us. I think our problem is that we don't eagerly await the king because we're so comfortable here. Think about the stuff that we have. Are we hurting for anything? I don't think so. And so my heart... And, and my cry to God is that we be a people 
who are eagerly awaiting for Jesus to come. So when you see the sunset, you're looking at the cloud and say, maybe now. Jesus, come, I'm ready. So how's the kingdom growing? So as people respond to Jesus, they're connected to Jesus, the cornerstone. And it says he's building his kingdom. Now, think about the millions of people who are following Jesus. How long do you think it would take to fill this building up with blocks, representing people who have been transformed by the grace of God? Not long. The kingdom is growing. And it will cover the earth. And the king is returning and he will reign forever. And those who know him will enjoy the kingdom forever. And I'm going to end this how Daniel ends this. When he tells him the dream, he says the dream is certain and its interpretation is sure. This is a gift from God to us. We know how this is going to end. So here's the cool part. This is my confidence. This is where my hope is. Whether I meet Jesus through the grave or through him returning, I'm going to be with the king for a long, long, long time. My prayer is you will be too. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. Father, I thank you for your grace. Lord, you show us how history will consummate. You show us how all things will come together for our good and your glory. So, Father, I pray for those who are not in the kingdom today, that today they'll come to you. Father, I pray for those that know you as king, will be bold and find their hope in you, even during the dark days. Father, we're not home yet, and we eagerly await for you to return. Until then, I pray that we're faithful in going and the kingdom growing. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.